Now, August is uh, South Africa. We celebrate a very special month, as I've said at the beginning of the show, and it celebrates uh, the achievement of women in our country. The tone was set by the women in Bogoto of 1956 who marched to the union buildings protesting discriminatory and unjust laws and apartheid. This happened on the 9th of August in 1956. Sadly, the problem of gender-based violence is still big in our beloved country. And uh, we're asking, how can we celebrate the advancements and achievements of women, seeing that this problem refuses to go away? Instead, it keeps on escalating. Where can we say the problem lies and what is the most practical way to deal with it? To help us navigate this issue, we are joined on the line by Professor Lengi Wemkise, who's a deputy minister in the Presidency for Women, Youth and People with Disabilities. Professor Lengi thank you very much for joining us. Good morning. Good morning, Pat. Good morning to the listeners. Thank you for having us. We are also joined by Director of the Sarki Batman Center for Women, Advocate Bernadine Bacha. Thank you very much for joining us, Advocate. Good morning, Patricia, and good morning, Professor. Thank you for having me. It's a beautiful month, indeed. I mean, we commemorate the work that women have done long before 1956, but in South Africa, we marked this day, Women's Day, um, because of the events that happened on the 9th of August in 1956. I'm going to start with you, Professor Mkise. What are you planning for the celebrations of this uh, momentous day in uh, our, our calendar? Maybe even before I respond uh, to that one, it's just important to emphasize the importance of reflecting on such <clears throat> I'm sorry, an important day in the lives of women of South Africa. The bravery, the commitment, and the unity that they held things together and they confronted the enemy. That was the apartheid uh, master. So basically, during this month, we are reflecting on the gains that have been made, but also the challenges, the perennial problems, as you have said, the question of gender-based violence. And and so we've come to a clear understanding that if you are talking gender-based violence, it's not about saying we're looking at women's rights and the, as human rights and the empowerment of women. But also we have to look at the etiology. In other words, the multiple causes, you know, like the economic and employment aspects uh, or basis of the problem. When I say economic and employment aspects, I'm talking about what happens at the workplace. Employment. Once women are there, they don't rise. They sometimes they earn different salaries from their counterparts, and they have all, they meet all sorts of of barriers. But also they are marginalised and excluded in the economy. So those are some of the things we'll be taking, working in partnership with the Department of Trade and Industry, the small businesses the economic sector in government, so to say, and of course with other people in the private sector who have come on board wanting to partner with us. 
Professor Mkiza, I'm glad that you are making mention of all the steps that are quite uh, um, troublesome to women in this day and age. But uh, let's focus more right now, and we'll come to the troublesome issues like what happens in terms of the workplace, the inequality and so on, and gender-based violence. But the gains, what are some of the gains? Because you mentioned that we are celebrating the gains. And at times when we are faced with, with so much trouble, we forget to look at the gains. So what have the gains been, um, according to your um, department as a minister of uh, uh, the Presidency for Women, Youth and People with Disabilities, what have the gains been? for women? I think we've come a long way. You know, we had um, a webinar on Friday where we're connecting with the UN women and also some women from uh, uh, POWER, which is linked to the AU. I mean, if you look at the question of gender representation today, I think we've come a long way. Uh, it's no longer an argument to say women should be represented in all segments of society, in every way. Uh, whether you are talking, if you look at NGOs today, most of them are led by women in a very able way. They are the ones. They are the ones who are really spearheading. Uh, this challenge we're talking about, but also even in government, whether the president is putting together the cabinet, the first question people look at is gender representation. How many women are there? How many men are there? How many young women are there? And so on. So, you know, the representation issue is big. It's not small because we're not talking about the sexual orientation of people, but we are talking about the experiences they bring uh, into the system. You know, if a woman will sit in a meeting it, and will not turn a blind eye to basic issues, uh, even when a legislation is being passed to say this won't work uh, for our communities. Uh, so I, I'm not going to go into details, the value that women bring, but I want to also say from a, a, a legislative review point of view, we have come a long way. You know, if you look at the whole list, um, if you look at the whole list of the legislation that talks to uh, gender equality and the empowerment of women, including improvement on the legislation that is meant to empower the criminal justice system to fight decisively uh, gender-based violence and femicide. I, I think virtually all, all the laws of this country have been reviewed and basically positioned in such a way that they are relevant to challenges uh, that uh, we face today. But also, you know, if you look at the international agencies, I mean, I mentioned the UN women. The South African woman is sitting right on top, Dr. Pumzile Mlambongoga. And, and so you, you can look at quite a number of agencies. Kosezane Zamini Zuma has been sitting at the AU right on top there, 
as the chairperson. Uh, just to mention a few, even in the area of science and technology, we've seen whenever they reviewed the progress made by women that we, we have just made strides in an amazing manner. I mean, in the arts, right now, we know we're looking at what's going on in Japan. I think it's, it's a, the only South African which is coming back with a gold is a woman. So I, I think we, 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 we have to open all these spaces. And of course, we have people like our own Miss South Africa who, instead of choosing glamour, want to use her position to profile mental health issues. So there are just endless things mm. that we can talk about. Young women in particular are very strong when it comes to economic inclusion. They don't want to start where we started about human, women's rights and human rights uh, and all these big words. And, and they are very strong in terms of wanting to dominate in all the sectors. We've had them presenting. They, some are doing very well in sectors which are traditionally men's sectors in the space of engineering. They are taking advantage of innovation uh, and the fourth industrial revolution. They are very strong in it. They see it as their terrain of connecting with other women, young women globally. And in education, they are beginning to rise in areas which are traditionally uh, men's spaces. So, you know, it's a broad area which we have to now as a department, we've pushed for the, depart the directorate of monitoring and evaluation so that we can concretely talk to progress made in the boardrooms, in the economy, in, you know, in, in all spheres of life so that it, it, it encourages even those who are beginning to be cynical and say, why celebrate every year? And sometimes looking at problems at a local level. But we have to balance uh, our posture and look at challenges and tackle them and say, during this year we'll do one, two, three, but and also appreciate progress made. Let me go to you, Advocate Bacha. Um, as the director of the Sarchi Batman Center for Women, I'm sure you can tell us more about what has been happening over the past 65 years when women are concerned in terms of, uh, you know, the people who walk into your doors, into your center, the people, women and children who are survivors of abuse, who come in seeking, uh, you know, refuge. Yes, absolutely. And I have to agree with Professor McKenzie. We do need to celebrate and to acknowledge the gains that we have made as a society when it comes to seeing um, that women are equally represented across all sectors in society. That, you know, that's something that we have really worked on. We're slowly but surely getting to where it, where it needs to be. And when it comes to things like our national strategic plan, South Africa has come up with an enormously important document um, that is all-encompassing and all-solution-driven um, um, uh, to, to make sure that the gender-based violence and femicide in South Africa are addressed. 
Um, we've seen our three so-called GBV bills um, have been presented to Parliament. And we're doing really good work when it does come to legislative reform. When it comes to gender-based violence, I think we've managed to highlight the, um, the problem not only of gender-based violence, but the impact on women and children and on us as a society. I think we've made gains when it comes to doing that. Um, we're not seeing a huge decrease in numbers of women that are walking through the doors at shelters. In fact, our numbers are unchanged um, very early in the, um, in, in the pandemic. We saw a slight increase in numbers, but for the most part, we're still seeing women coming through with, with the same challenges. Um, challenges of economic empowerment. If a woman comes through to a shelter, goes through all the shelter uh, programs, and doesn't have access to either a job or to the ability to make money once she leaves, as well as um, to housing, she's going to more than likely go back to the perpetrator because we just haven't equipped her um, properly to actually get back into society and, and stay away from him. So these are things that we're at the staff department center are working on. We have an economic empowerment program. Every woman that comes through our doors um, would receive accredited job skills training, which would work on entrepreneurial skills for her. And housing is, is an ongoing problem. That's something we've been um, for a very long time now engaging with government and saying, you know, these abandoned houses that you have are the ones that are not being used. Um, you know, can we have them for uh, transitional housing for women once she leaves the shelter so that she's got a, a set amount of time, perhaps a year, she can take a deep breath and put some money aside, but know that she's secure and she has a roof over her head. So yes, we've made huge strides and we've made huge reforms. We've got to a place um, where we're sitting on the precipice of really looking at um, real solutions to gender-based violence in South Africa. But the survivor on the ground, the survivor in the street, um, not too much has changed for her. Um, and that's the things that we really start to need to start looking at. And I think the solution for South African society lies in community-based responses to gender-based violence, where you get your community leaders, whether those be religious leaders, um, leaders within justice, um, within the police services, um, your teachers, and you, you form teams that could actually, within the community, find solutions for gender-based violence, but also walk survivors and their children through the system and provide support um, and provide um, awareness to, to men and to boys about the impact of gender-based violence, because that's another aspect of addressing GBV that we haven't really made great strides in. And that's something we also need to be highlighting. Is are men and boys aware of the true impact of gender-based violence and how do we make sure that when we're fighting GBV that they are allies with us, they're standing alongside us and fighting it too. It's uh, half past ten. I'm going to ask everyone who's listening right now to weigh in on this conversation that we are having. Um, as much as we celebrate 65 years since uh, 1965, the 9th of August, where women marched, um, you know, in, in unison against those then days oppressive laws against women, women today are dispersed. And they are living in, 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 in silos, difficult uh, um, times that they are facing. They are faced with so many challenges. What do you think 
could help us out of this. We are speaking to Professor Thlengiwem Kize, Deputy Minister in the Presidency for Women, Youth and uh, People with Disabilities alongside with advocate uh, Bernadine uh, Batcher who is the, the director for the Saki Batman Centre for Women. Call in and ask your questions. Let's go straight to Anne Musa. Stay on top of all meaningful top trending stories right here on SAFM. Leading the conversation. Continuing with our conversation around uh, the beginning of uh, Women's Month, celebrating it, but also uh, talking what can be done or what should be done or what is being done about uh, gender-based violence, which is uh, tagged as South Africa's uh, second pandemic, something that we are living with, um, but the cure is yet to be found. I've got Nikita, who's in Gabecha on the line. Nikita, good morning. Good morning, Nikita. Good morning. And yeah, and it's good to have you also in the morning. <laughs> to enjoy you in the in um on the topic now, especially as it pertains to women representation, woman leadership, and let's say talking from much more um Marxian feminist perspective, I see that let's say we had uh, Dr. Lamini Zuma as a U chairperson. We have Pumzilambo Nuga as deputy president of South Africa leading AU women. And but for me, I always think I go back to history. You had a woman, Indira Gandhi, being the first elected um, prime minister of India, the largest democracy in the world. You had uh, Benazir Bhutto from Pakistan being elected prime minister in Pakistan. You had Ying um, Langshinwa elected prime minister in um, in Thailand. And all of those women got to those positions, let's say, because of family association. Indira, Indira Gandhi was uh, related to Mahatma Gandhi. Um, Benazir Bhutto's father was prime minister before her. I, and all these women were either assassinated or they were removed in a military coup. So where do we, uh, how do we uh, draw that line of where women's participation or representation is, is it's not really just them being Yes, they were talented. They could. They were leaders, but they got there because of their family ties, uh, of of wealth, of their taxin. Um, taxin was prime minister before Yaxin in Thailand, and and how they got removed from power. And those are things that we should always try to critique: women's leadership and representation based on their own power, not because as some extension or some association with powerful men or powerful families, how can they be there? Not because they follow some faction. I would really love your guests to really um, just uh, engage this topic for me. Thank you very much. Thanks, Nikita. I'm going to uh, hand over to Professor Mkiza to just uh, um, weigh in there on Nikita's uh, uh, question. Uh, Thank you very much, Nikita, for raising this issue. I I think we have to make use of our own context, uh, our constitution and our values, of course, uh, that inform our democratic processes. I think in South Africa, you know, we have we are lucky in the sense that because of levels of transparency and accountability, uh, most of the women that we are talking about today, they've really uh, a proven track record 
uh, of activism on these issues uh, that, that, that they use, which they've used to secure their positions. We, we can talk about uh, Dr. Pumzile Mlambonyuga, uh, the work she did during the apartheid years with the churches, sacrifices she made in the country and outside the country, and, and, and you know, post-apartheid, how hard she worked uh, all South Africans can testify to that. The, the same applies to Kosazane Lamini Zuma, who really used the democratic dispensation to prove her worth by working extremely hard, first as a minister of health, and wherever she was deployed, everybody knew she would deliver. And, and, and so I think in our case, we should value our constitution and the toughness in terms of our uh, the, the adhering to democratic uh, principles. So we don't have a situation where people are anointed because of family ties and so on. It just won't work. Uh, they won't get support. Actually, here, it could be a barrier to a success if somebody pushes you using a family tie. And so today, when we talk about generational equality, we are looking at a 15-year-old and saying, in 10 years' time, she'll be 25 years. And what do we do to strengthen a young woman today so that 10 years' time, uh, around 2030, this woman is ready to lead? And again, uh, embracing the generation equality is partly because we believe women should be prepared, should be strengthened, empowered, and skilled, so that when they assume leadership, is is we have, you know, is because of their capabilities and strengths rather than uh, inheritance. Uh, from families or husbands and so on. Uh, uh, and so hence South Africa is leading uh, one of the pillars of generation equality, uh, including economic justice, to make sure that our 15-year-olds, by the time they turn 25, they've been empowered, they are ready to lead in their own right. You know, I'm, I'm glad that Nikita brought this up and I'm going to bring you in, Advocate Boucher, um around leadership. It's it's easy for us to think of leadership as um, people on podiums, political uh, business leaders. But what about the role of leadership in the household? Because that's where we find um, when those roles are skewed or the understanding of the woman's role um, and her leadership role is skewed, then abuse ensues in that household. In the community, you find women are being battered and they are sidelined. So how do we ensure that women and I'm not talking from an age where, you know, you are now above your 20s, even from the age of, 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 of 15, um, as the minister said, are empowered to lead within their spheres, whether it's at school, in the household, in the community, before they even get onto the global stage. Yes, it's, and, and that's a really good question. What we need to be looking at is education and awareness across the board. Um, awareness of what patriarchal structures does um, to women's leadership. Um, awareness of the 
obstacles that stand in the way for women to empowerment, both within the home, because it speaks to the same thing, power and control, um, and within the community. And we need to start slowly but surely through education, through awareness, through bringing awareness to um, all of these issues to dismantling the patriarchy. And, and that's obviously the structure that's holding women back. And it's also um, underpinning gender-based violence. So we need to slowly but surely start dismantling all of those. And we do have great leaders in, in women, and women have managed to um, to get into to, to positions of power within the government. But, but they've done that despite the fact that we live in a patriarchal society. Um, and we need to start looking at women leaders in the community. Uh, those women that go out every single day and are assisting survivors without any funding, those that are um, bringing uh, awareness to these issues, that are taking their own lives into their hands quite often uh, by um, supporting and protecting survivors. We need to start looking at those women. We need to start identifying them, and we need to start resourcing them so that they're able to take their work further and make more of an impact. It's about finding the leaders in every strata, women leaders in every strata of, of society, um, and making sure that they have the supporting resources that, 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 that they require in order to address gender-based violence. Now, Professor Mkise, one of the issues or, um, you know, plights that is faced uh, by the Sarki Batman Centre for Women that Advocate Bacha mentioned is transitional housing. And as much as we want women to lead, as much as we want women to feel protected, we can't do so if they are dispersed. We can't do so if they have no place to call home um, after being abused, after being exposed, you know, after uh, not being able to participate economically so that they can fend for themselves. So what is it that you can commit to or you can commit to looking into around the transitional housing? Yeah, um, you know, I think the advocate has raised an important issue. You, you have, uh, Patricia, our details. I would really like us to connect uh, because, you know, the, the issue of that space uh, for women to be able to sort themselves out uh, is critical, especially women uh, with children. It, it's, it's very difficult to come out of an abusive uh, relationship and, 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 and be exposed to all sorts of challenges uh, and the risk of almost being homeless. So the, 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 the shelter movement, uh, I know our sister department, the Department of Social Development, they fund them. But through the funds that the president has initiated uh, to uh, to, to really help, especially the NGOs, to fight uh, GBV, uh, gender-based violence and femicide. Uh, one of the things that we often re- recommend to people is to look at shelters because it's a very, it's a, it's a crucial space. It's a stopgap uh, between an abusive relationship and flying to the world. So I think we would like to be in touch with them to understand their challenges and see how, uh, you know, these private sector-initiated funding can be introduced to the center and, and, and help in terms of making sure that uh, they, they, they are well-resourced. 
we know, of course, they, they, because the need is, is so vast, uh, the rural areas uh, uh, are worse off in the sense that uh, most women who initiate these projects, they, they hardly get funding. But uh, where we can, where we are aware, we really try to promote linkages between the funds, uh, existing private funds, uh, besides what government can do uh, and them. And I do believe in the importance of this. I've seen in other countries whereby some people, they come out of the shelter having acquired skills, uh, some ready to have to initiate a bakery, some having a security job, uh, but, but in most instances, they become entrepreneurs. They stand on their own, and that becomes the beginning of their survival. And they tell the stories uh, of where they come from with confidence. And so, please, if you can link us up. Definitely, we'll do that, uh, Professor Mkise. You will uh, have each other's contact details. Our producers, uh, Lebu and Gwenzagila, will make sure it happens. Let me go to an SMS here from um, Stembi, so who's in Zola 2 in Soweto, says, Patricia, these days women are the ones who are to be blamed. They are the ones who have protected perpetrators, even outside courts. I'm, I'm, I'm coming to you, um, Advocate Barcher. Is this the case? Are women so scared of their perpetrators that they will protect them? It's, it's important when you're looking at issues of um, supposedly women protecting perpetrators or the, the old chestnut that really riles me. Why does she stay? Why doesn't she leave? To understand that, you've got to understand the psychology behind um gender-based violence and the psychological impact that the violence has on the survivor and the fact that it obliterates her when it comes to decision-making in, in, in essence as well. So it isn't as easy as to say that she's protecting the, the, the perpetrator or she's just not leaving. We need to understand that it takes, research shows us that it takes seven times, seven times that she walks out the door until she leaves for good. Um, so we need to turn the the, 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 the the, the lens around and say, why are we as a society not resourcing her so that she can walk out? Why are we not resourcing her so that she does realize that she is empowered to leave that relationship and she doesn't need to protect him? Often a woman will protect the perpetrator because he's the one that's making the money and the children need to eat. So it's a very complex situation isn't as easy as turning around and saying she's protecting the person that's abusing her. Um, there's very many factors that might play in to that um, scenario. And, and I we need to sorry. Go yes, ahead, go ahead. And we need to we need to look at look at that um, with with a full length but with with compassion um, and and support. We need to support her to get out of that situation, not not, not turn around and, and point fingers at her. Most definitely, Advocate Bacha. I couldn't agree with you more. And I think sometimes it's easier to point out mm-hmm. a, an abuser that physically abuses you. But an abuser that is abusing you in a narcissistic way, then it's difficult to point it out. And it's difficult to come out because women in those situations are usually broken down to feel that they really don't belong in society and they have nowhere else to go 
go. So they are isolated within that abuse. And and it's difficult. So I think compassion really does go a long way. Here's another question here from our listeners. Hi, Patricia and uh, your guests. I just want to find out from your guests if we talk about uh, gender-based violence and lack of women representation in the workplace on those top positions. Is it across races or, it's, or it is only uh, this, this, a certain race that has that uh, problem? And then what does the study say? Uh, it is the cause of, if it is uh, the gender-based violence is amongst a specific race, what is the cause? If the lack of rep- representation in top position in those uh, workplace, uh, it's a specific race, what could be the cause? According to the study. Thank you. Good morning, Pat. You know, I think the reason why gender-based violence will never stop is because we're not looking for the root of the cause. Yes, it's good to arrest people when they commit murder or any sort of GBV, but what is the root cause? If a man kills his kids and his wife, do we try and find out the paternity of those kids or what could have led to that? As long as we don't address things like that, we're not going anywhere. For example, is it fair for me to say after a divorce, I give, I have still have to pay my former partner for being single? Does that really make sense even at my job? Once I leave, I leave. Why should I pay someone who is equal to me money for them to survive? We should look at those things that are skewed towards women and say, Yes, some men cannot deal with things like that, but are they fair to men as well? If a woman goes out with people that she doesn't know, accepting drinks from people that she doesn't know, what is the outcome of that? Yes, you can say men need to change their behavior, but that's like saying people should remove their electric fence and their boundary fences and we talk to thieves to change. That will never happen. There are bad men out there. We should teach our sisters to protect themselves. It's not victim shaming. It's asking you to be safe. Thanks a lot, J.M. You know, J.M., I I like your last part of the comment where you say we must teach our sisters to protect themselves and it's not victim shaming. My question to you is, does a victim choose to be a victim? Mm. Does a victim within a marriage choose to be a victim? Does a young girl who gets raped by her father choose mm-hmm. that scenario? So we, we can't, you can teach me all you'd like to teach me, but most of the perpetrators, and I understand your example of going out to drink and taking drinks for free from people, that's a separate case. Majority of the cases are from within the household. Uncles, aunts, brothers, Fathers, grandfathers are the ones who are the biggest perpetrators. So you can teach us all you can. The behavior needs to change from the perpetrators, from the men. Call out the men who are doing this. Call out the men who are not in a loving position um, and, and are not compassionate and are not, you know, oh, no. Yeah, this is a <laughs> touchy one for me. Let me come to you, Advocate Abacha, in, in, in terms of the comments. I mean, the first question was around, do we have demographics around um, or stats around where, um, you know, the, the, the high... Um, concentration of these uh, abuses lies in terms of gender-based violence. Um, yes, thank you, Patricia. So just with regard to the comments of the last um, the, the caller, the last listener, so I think what, what one should be asking is and what one should be 
really inculcating in our society is that we should be teaching men to stop hurting and killing women and children. Um, that's that's it, it, it's not about teaching women to protect themselves. Yes, that that'll be part of 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 the, the end part of that solution. But we've got to start dealing with the perpetrators themselves, not. Um, saying, okay, women, we, we have lost um, control of the situation and now you must go ahead and protect yourself. We really should be talking to perpetrators. We should have perpetrator programs that are running in communities that speak to men about the impacts of gender-based violence on their families, on the community, on society at large. They talk to things like um, patriarchal um, structures and consent and power and control. Um, so yes, those are what we we should be looking at, rather than looking at how women should be protecting themselves. We're once again going back to saying that women have got to take um, ownership of the of, of the struggle of gender-based violence, when in fact it's actually the perpetrators that need to take ownership of the um, struggle. Very very true. Um, can you also please weigh in, Professor Mkiz? Yeah, you know we we have to also confront uh, mental health issues. If you look at most perpetrators, take for instance, uh, uh, last year we had a situation where quite a number of young women were buried in shallow graves uh, somewhere in the south coast. Uh, so they, there was a serious killer uh, who used to promise them work and then they'll be killed. And, and really, it, people, abusers, Often you find that the, the 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 rationale is irrational. They they don't only abuse women close to them; they can go to another relationship. They'll continue with their practice and their pattern, which basically shows that um, it has nothing to do with any one particular woman, but it's that. Is the anger or pain or feelings of insecurity that a man has not confronted? Often, remember, men, they don't belong to groups like a stock fan where they talk to issues. Uh, even in, 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 in churches, they'll often walk in and out. They won't be part of any class or grouping where they deal with these issues. So we even going back to the first question why women forgive them and some the abuse is so subtle it's emotional and women get confused there's this strong culture where everybody says please build your home stay with this man he's a good person he's gonna grow and so the woman is muckled is is confused. Oh, sometimes, Professor Mkiza, you are told uh, you must be patient. You are asked, what did you do to cause it? What are you saying? You can't keep quiet. You're a bad woman. So automatically, if your society and those around you keep saying that, you feel inadequate. You feel you're the problem. So you now become the sitting duck quiet. Yeah. Mm. So you have to hold the knife where it's sharp whether it cuts your hand off or whatever. So, but also there was this question of the race profile. I, I think, you know, I, I always look at this analysis and say, you, you know the racial classification of the past 
we have not been able to turn it around where people on top, uh, the white, I think Indians, I think colors, and the Africans were at the bottom. And so, you know, the transformation agenda is very, very important. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think now what they are doing within the education system, where they are making sure that all women, they, they go to school, post-school, they qualify for things like uh, educational assistance financially, NESFAS is going to turn the situation around. But... W- all along, if you look at the majority of African women, they remain domestic workers, uh, they, or they are in these retail uh, stores where they really do basic front work and so on. So we, we I think through the education system, we can turn around uh, this racial profile. Uh, and, and basically also... You, taking advantage of these uh, entrepreneurial opportunities that are mushrooming all over, be it in tourism or small businesses, besides long-term educational programs, that those who have skills and a vision, let's assist them. I always say there are things that women do every day, but they are not able to commercialize them. And so when we talk about entrepreneurship, we really have to encourage them. We really have to make sure that they, are, they have uh, entities and take advantage of all these opportunities, uh, polish their goods, make sure that they can be put out there in the market. Uh, and so we, there's a lot of work that we need to do uh, to, to, to change uh, the situation of most women who have the potential, but they are put down there by the, their past. Mm. So I've just received a message here that says women are equally serial abusers, fraud stars. They create false stories, fraud charges. Um, they equally abuse men financially, commit fraud upon the courts, file untrue cases, uh, perjury, defeat the ends of justice. Gender-based violence is equally committed by women. Be balanced in your approach. As we close off, um, I, I'd like you... Advocate Bancha to just comment on this and uh, no one is saying there's no abuse the other way but statistics are showing that the abuse is more skewed um, towards the female and the girl child Absolutely Patricia that's exactly it. Gender based violence doesn't speak to violence that is um, violence that is solely perpetrated um, against women. We speak about gender-based violence as, as in generally as violence perpetrated against women because the vast majority of the victims or survivors of GBV are women and, and girls. So that's why we speak to it um, in that particular way. But it, it, it is entirely skewed one way that women are suffering under GBV more than men are. There are there are women abusers out there. We can't get away from that. Um, we're not excusing that. We're not condoning it. But what we're saying is the vast majority of victims of GBV are women. And that's why we, we use the language that we do. Um, but we, we won't be able to get away from the fact that, yes, there are women out there that are abused and they equally need um, the resourcing to, to, to deal with their, um, their, their, their abuse of, of uh, men. 
um, and they equally need the support of organizations to to see the impact of that abuse has and they equally need to be subject to the laws of this country so we're not saying it doesn't happen um, the other way around what we're saying is the vast majority of the cases is, is, is perpetrated against women and girls I'd like to thank both of you, uh, Professor Klingerim Kize and Advocate uh, Bernadine uh, Barcher, for joining us. Let's hope that this month is going to uh, bring about a big change as we celebrate Women's uh, Month. Thank you very much. Thank you thank very, you very much. much. Thank you, Patricia. Have a good Let's go now to Anne Musa for the 11 o'clock news bulletin.